So what do you need to know about pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum care during COVID-19? These are uncertain times, so let's get you the most up-to-date information with Dr. Liz Ellen LaFollette, a board-certified OBGYN at Marin Health. This is the Healing Podcast from Marin Health. I'm Bill Klaproth. Dr. LaFollette, thank you so much for your time. It is always great to talk with you. So we have a lot to get to. So let's start with pregnancy and Marin. Where are we at? Well, Bill, first, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm thrilled to be trying to give women the most up-to-date information about COVID-19 in Marin and the Bay Area right now. Now, before I get too far along, I want to just say some disclaimers, which basically is that all the information that we're giving you changes day to day. And our job as providers is to try to give patients the up-to-date information that we have, recognizing that some of this information may and probably will change. The few pointers that I just want to say for pregnant moms in general is pregnant moms are anxious. First-time moms are entering the unknown, and COVID-19 has just added to this stress. So our job as providers is to help you. Number one, in terms of labor and delivery policies, hand washing, masking, testing. Number two, safe baby, breastfeeding, postpartum, using outreach with telehealth as well as in-person visits for the postpartum part. And three, just get ready that things change daily. Try to be flexible. Try to know that we are constantly learning, that we are going to stay up to date, and we're going to help you and your baby stay well and safe. I do have to say, so that people don't get worried about where they can get good information, especially in the Bay Area, the best weekly up-to-date information from UCSF Medical Grand Rounds is typically Thursday for an hour, an hour and a half. Last week's covered, will we open schools? How is the Bay Area doing? What happened at St. Quentin? It's an hour and a half and it's on YouTube. So look for that as UCSF Grand Rounds. So that's number one as a great resource. The second great resource is a basic science one, not too detailed, but it's coming from the Buck Institute of Aging, which is a Marin entity in which there are basic scientists dealing with COVID and transmission every day. And those are televised podcasts that have been fabulous and they are resources for anyone. And of course, our normal American College of OBGYN and the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine. So those are the resources I want people to know about. Those are the resources I use. And if patients have specific questions, that's where I will be going to. Well, having the right resources can certainly make us more informed. So thank you for sharing those resources. And I also like how you said you have to pay attention to three things, masking, hand washing, social distancing, safe baby at home, and Get ready because things do change daily. So speaking of changing, where are we at at Marin right now as far as COVID-19? All right. So let me just say that we were all very happy to pat ourselves on the back as Marin in the Bay Area was one of the seven counties that did shelter in place before the governor on March 16th, 2020. So we were all feeling terrific. We had single-digit cases from basically March, April, May, June. We got ready. We got prepared. We got enough PPE. We have put in policies of the social distancing, of the testing, of the masking. All of that was put in place. 
And unfortunately, now we're starting to see cases. So let's talk about Marin as of 7-14-2020. There are 38,626 patients that were tested, of which 1,856 are positive and 82 are hospitalized. We are running a 7% positive testing rate. At the local community hospitals, and in Marin, there are three. There is obviously Marin Health, there is Kaiser in San Rafael, and there is Novato Sutter. In those local community hospitals, there are 26 cases today, 19 community patients, and seven from St. Quentin. There are currently eight ICU patients, of which five are from St. Quentin. Both the county and the federal prison of St. Quentin have put us on the watch list, and so there are the numbers. The, the bad news is this was an avoidable situation. The good news is because St. Quentin is a federal prison, the cases themselves are not overwhelming the Marin system and are actually going to the Bay Area hospitals. But I just wanted to make a small statement about that. So you mentioned we're at a 7% positivity rate. Where would you like to see that number be? Well, what were we doing in March and April and May? And the answer was 4%, 3%. We were really low. And to be running at 7 I can tell you that today was 7.1%. And, and there's still a, almost a week delay in terms of reporting cases because we can test people, but we don't have the lab capacity to ramp up to be able to get the tests out in a timely manner. So these numbers will continue to change as the tests get run and get reported. But I think the highest we've been is 7.5%. Now, from other places in the country, those numbers are still very low. Thank goodness. And they're starting to go down. But boy, we were way better than this before. So that's good context for that 7% positivity rate. So getting back to pregnancy, what procedures and protocols has the hospital put in place to ensure safe deliveries in the time of COVID-19? So I do want to say that remember that the hospital has been ready and prepared to curtail infectious disease from the inception. If you think about medicine, that's the one thing the hospital's are good at. We really try to understand infection transmission and mitigate risks. So number one, we're testing anybody that comes into labor and delivery. We're maintaining a sterile and safe environment, which we are good at. We as providers are doing training in terms of masks, gloves, PPE when needed if a patient is positive. We are telling our patients and doing daily washing our hands, donning our gloves, putting on our masks and removing with each patient. And the hospital is not the source of infection. The community is. So I think we have to understand for pregnant patients when they're worried about what happens on labor and delivery, it is not the hospital where the infections are getting transmitted. It is the community. And one of the issues about labor and delivery is everything can be easy and then all of a sudden it can be like an emergency room in trauma. So the American College of OBGYN and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine have been very clear that it is still safest to deliver in a hospital than it is to deliver other places. So that should help alleviate some fears. It is safer to deliver at the hospital. And then another question that I'm sure comes up a lot, are women who are pregnant more susceptible to COVID-19? 
So I will say this again, that what we know right now is they are not, and I'll say that again, they are not more susceptible to COVID-19. Now, there are certain medical conditions that pregnant patients may have that could make them more susceptible to COVID-19, respiratory illness, prior cancer with radiation, asthma that needs steroids, certain respiratory medical conditions that we know COVID-19 attacks the respiratory system, and therefore that would make them susceptible. But what we know as of now is that there is no data that indicates that pregnant individuals are at increased risk of infection or severe morbidity, namely ICU admission, compared to non-pregnant patients. So that's good news. Women who are pregnant are not more susceptible to COVID-19. So then how can pregnant women best protect themselves from catching the coronavirus? And what about other challenges pregnant women face? I think the most important thing about pregnant women is that they start to think about not only pregnancy, but postpartum. So number one, socially isolate. But there's really important message on that because if you socially isolate and you come home with a new baby, who's there to help you? So think ahead. Get your family members tested and quarantined for 14 days before they come to your house. Make sure they are socially distancing, wearing masks, washing their hands. All of this can be anticipated ahead of time. I, I can give you a quick story of a patient I just delivered, and she was anxious to leave. She came in. She had an easy delivery. It's her first baby, and she wanted to leave in 24 hours. And I said, gee, why are you in such a rush? She said, you don't understand. I have my mother. I have my mother-in-law. I have my sister who was a labor and delivery nurse. They have been quarantined. They have been tested at my house for the last two weeks. I have more support there than I do here. And I went, wow. Good for you. That is exactly the preparation that we should be talking to people ahead of time. So you don't feel as though you're going home with a baby and a newborn and you don't know what you're doing if you're the first time mom. You have a support system. And so I do think that's really important because what are we seeing? We're seeing postpartum being the hardest time. Yes, we are using telehealth and yes, we are seeing patients, but it's really hard. You're not sleeping. You may have issues with breastfeeding. It is really tough normally, and COVID makes it worse. So even after the worry and anxiety of giving birth during COVID-19, there's a lot more to worry about even after birth. That's right. And the American College of OBGYN just came out with another view, which is that in the old days, patients were told, you see your doctor six weeks postpartum, and they are very clear that that is not enough. And if there's one thing COVID has taught us, we always have been seeing patients at two weeks and at four weeks postpartum, but we need to be seeing them and they need to see us, even if it's a Zoom meeting, to talk about these issues because the isolation is enormous and the worry is enormous. And we are here as providers to help in those circumstances. And I don't think we have educated patients to know, guess what? We're here. Please reach out. Do not do this alone. It seems like postpartum depression would be compounded by social distancing, by isolation, by quarantine. Is that right? Yes. I think the postpartum time has always been tough. I think if you think about college life and how many all-nighters you pull, 
you can't do that for about six weeks in a row, which is normal for a postpartum mom. And six weeks is early for many babies to sleep through the night. So I think what's really interesting is sleep deprivation, stress, a newborn, feeling as though you don't know what you're doing because you've never done this before. That's just a recipe for a problem. And so from my perspective, we need to be really ready for postpartum depression and postpartum blues because this is a terrific setup for this and we're seeing it. Just another factor to worry about. And then speaking of worry, what about COVID-19 and the unborn baby? Can this virus be transmitted to the fetus either while in utero or during birth? All right. So we have a couple of reports. And again, these are information that is coming through the scientific literature about American cases. So they are spotty and there is some information. So I'll go back on two issues. One, there were pregnant patients in New York who got COVID-19 in the middle of that pandemic and who delivered successfully afterwards without any complications from COVID, except that the baby acquired the antibodies for COVID. So that indicates that, yes, there is antibody transmission through the placenta to the baby and that if the mom has the episode during pregnancy and recovers, the baby will have antibodies. We're thinking those antibodies are protective, but there's a big debate about how long do the antibodies last. For most of us, we always feel like once you have an antibody, let's fingers crossed it'll last long enough to protect you. So we're going to still work with that because we just don't know yet. But that's number one. Number two, though, has to do with what if a mom comes in who's COVID positive? So she's actively has a fever. She's positive for COVID we're prepared. We have our PPE for delivery. Everything goes fine with the delivery. What happens to that infant? Well, number one, since that's an acute infection, the antibodies have not been created. So we have to decide, do the mom and baby stay together? And most of us would recommend you have a choice on this. The second is, is there instances in which the baby gets COVID after delivery because of such an acute situation? And the answer is today, yes. Yesterday, no. There's a case from France that talked about this in which the mom came in infected, had the baby, the baby was fine, and then did get infection. So it's not understood well how this can happen. But if you've had COVID and you've recovered, you're going to be okay and so will the baby, to the best of our understanding, as of today. And yes, there is one case in which the mom was actively infected and in labor, got delivered, and the baby acquired COVID three and four and five days later. So what about a mother who tests positive for COVID-19? How is their delivery different? So what happens to labor and delivery is... Any woman coming in in labor gets tested. So if they are positive, then we do what we are trained to do, which is PPE, so protective equipment, mask, gloves, isolation from other moms and from other parts of the hospital, et cetera. And she delivers normally just the same way anybody else's labor would go. And then there is a debate about mom and baby being together versus separated. There was some early reports that suggested maybe we should separate the baby from that mom. I'm not sure we have enough data to say that. That's a very stressful thought. 
can you imagine 14 days away from your newborn? Just awful, right? So most of us are advising that, yes, that could make sense, but I don't know if it makes sense psychologically. And then the labor and delivery goes just the same way that it would with somebody without PPE. But the difference is that we're in real-time reaction in that many people are asymptomatic that come in that have the disease. So we test at the time of entry to labor and delivery. And if we are surprised, which we can be, again, not often in Marin because our numbers have been so good, but we have been recently, then we immediately pivot to this is a positive mom, isolation, and PPE, et cetera. So we have to be on our toes recognizing that at any time, this can shift. And even though people have isolated and have been using masks and have been hand washing and have been doing all the things, there still is now some community acquisition of asymptomatic patients who show up on labor and delivery who are positive for COVID. And then what to do after birth. Nobody wants that scenario where mom and baby are separated after birth because mom has COVID and baby doesn't. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. So pregnant women need to take particular caution to avoid catching this. At this point, do we know anything more about how the virus is transmitted? So you may have heard, and this is why I try to recommend to my patients that day-to-day media is a little bit too anxiety-producing to listen to it every day. But there's a big debate with WHO about respiratory droplets versus aerosolization. So the basic science of this, Bill, is this is a big particle or a small particle. So if you think about a big particle, if somebody coughs, it's going to go a certain amount of area from that patient, and maybe it's six feet, maybe it's further. I think we've all seen those little diagrams in which you know somebody sneezes and how far it goes. And then it hits the floor, right? It hits the ground, right? Okay, there it is. So now it's gone. As long as you don't walk through that shower of somebody actually sneezing, you're good. All right. Now, recently, WHO has talked about smaller particles that could stay because they are so little. So it's one of the reasons why everybody says, stay outside. If you're going to social distance, be outside because the wind will move things along, et cetera. So it's clear that we do not understand transmission as perfectly as we can. Clearly, both of these actions may in fact be part. Also, we're hand washing because could it also be transmitted in other bodily fluids? It would make sense that it might. It's a respiratory illness. It's an upper respiratory illness. It makes people cough. That's where we think that most of the transmission is happening. But there can be other ways, too, and we're learning as we go. These are not hard and fast rules, but we we learn as we go. Right. So we know there's the spitting as you talk, cough or sneeze, the spittle, if you will. And then there's the potential aerosol that we're learning about, and that would be An example would be when someone smokes, you see that cloud come out and it can kind of linger and hang in the air if you're indoors. So that's kind of the difference between the two. Yes. And so if that really is airborne, you could be potentially walking into a cloud of COVID if you're stuck indoors with somebody that has it. I know, exactly. So it makes it a little bit more complicated as you try to open schools and understand this. But remember that one of the first premises is masking. 
you are masking because what if you, the patient, are asymptomatic and don't know? So you have now prevented you from infecting others. And you are masking on the recipient side so that if somebody seizes, coughs, or talks loudly with spittle, which I'm sure all of us do, and I'm a particularly loud speaker, so I'm sure I do, that does not transmit to the other patient if, again, you were asymptomatic or even if you had the disease. So the masking itself almost deals with 60 to 70% of the transmissibility as we understand it currently. So there is no way for us to get around masking. It's really important. The second is obviously hand washing, because what if it's gone from your face to your hands and vice versa? So that's the second. Social distance takes care of the geographical location of potential aerosolization, which you're not getting a lot of when you're masked. But, you know, again, if you want to be outdoors, then you can be more than six feet. And maybe that would make sense. We have to think a little bit about whether we stay masked all the time or we have some flexibility on that. But again, we're learning this as we go. And I think one of the important things is to understand why are we making these recommendations and where is the basic science to basically support these interventions so we can minimize the infection, and the spread. Right. So we talked about the scenario where mom gives birth and it turns out she's got COVID. Do you separate the two then? That brings up another question. What about breastfeeding? We're still recommending breastfeeding. The information about how much might be transmitted from a COVID-positive mom in breast milk is, to right now, up to date, not a lot of risk. And I think this is an evolving science. So most of us are recommending the importance of breastfeeding and bonding with the newborn is overrides the concern. And again, this is an evolving recommendation, but I think it makes sense. If you think of all the times we have seen people in this pandemic not have support, let's not create a worse situation by isolating pregnant and postpartum moms when they really need support. I mean, this is a very vulnerable time. Right. We don't want them to be isolated and we want them to have the support that they need. So are there any special instructions for parents in terms of caring for their newborns once they return home? And questions like, are visitors okay or should newborns be social distancing? So a couple things. I think I'll go back to my story of this wonderful patient who was ready to get home early because she had socially distanced her family support and her parents. I think if we're really going to think about this ahead of time, let's make sure that the household is not empty if you can safely quarantine for 14 days, get tested, and thereby support the mom and the partner with the new baby. And so we have to think ahead. Let's talk about 14 days ahead. Let's talk about testing so that they aren't by themselves. I mean, the most difficult patients I've been dealing with are the women who at the beginning part of this epidemic, we basically said nobody can come in. Well, that's not great for somebody who's never had a baby. My goodness. So we've made it worse. I think in medicine, we always try to do our best. But once in a while, recommendations and common sense run counter to infectious disease prevention. So with social distancing and shelter-in-place measures, and this is really tough, how can parents cope with the first few weeks of returning home from the hospital? Not easy. No. 
I mean, again, one of the things that's really helped us is we can reach out both through telehealth and telemedicine, both the pediatrician and the provider obstetrician or midwife who delivered that baby to be able to tell the parents, look, we know what sleepless nights can do. We know this is tough. We know you don't have necessarily the same support as you would normally have a parent or a sibling or someone. Think ahead. Get these people tested. Get them isolated for 14 days. Make sure they're social distancing so they can come in and support you. And then make sure they reach out to the providers, both the pediatrician for the baby and the obstetrician and midwife for the mom. And we are here as resources and really, really want to help in these very tough times and anxious times. Anxious, tough, stressful, uncertain, all of those apply. There's no question about that. So do you have any advice for new parents on how they can focus on cherishing this really important time, even though it is stressful and uncertain? Well, I think they need to sort of fasten your seatbelt with a shelter in place and with offices not opening. Many of the parents are staying home and they're going to be working from home. And that means you're going to have to get used to this new reality of this kiddo because you don't have the freedom of movement to go to work and, you know, see ya. So that's a good and a bad because both parents now get to play a role in terms of the newborn life and work life juggle. So although it is a tough time, you are going to have time with your infant that you didn't usually have because where are you going? You're going to the next room to get onto your computer to do work from home, right? So I think that's actually a positive. It means that some of the parents that might not have played a primary role can now step in and there will, in my positive view of things, have more sharing of the responsibility of a newborn, which is 50% more hands on deck to help out with the situation. The mom, the dad, the other partner, all of them can help now because where are they going? Unless they are a healthcare worker or an essential worker, for the most part, they're not going anywhere. And that is a great thing, especially as a baby grows and sleeps more and smiles and gets to be more and more interactive. That's a really great thing. That is a great thing. And that's a great way to look at it. Look for the opportunities and the positives in all of this. Any other advice for expecting parents? I want to go back to my opening comments about good resources and that we have to be flexible as things are changing rapidly and we learn more and more as we get further into this pandemic. But we are here as providers to stay on top of information, on medical information, and not necessarily alarming information that may not be based in science. And this is a very interactive time. If there's a concern, reach out because that's what we're here for. And that's a great message to remember. Marin Health is there for you. And then as we wrap up, Dr. LaFollette, it sounds like the bottom line in all of this there's one thing that's really, really, really important, that 14-day quarantine before giving birth for mom, dad, grandma and grandpa, other caregivers, that 14-day quarantine before birth is imperative. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So important to be ready and to be safe and to get support. 
And that's what it's all about. Dr. La Follette, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. This has really been informative. Thank you again for your time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's Dr. Liz Ellen La Follette. And to learn more, please visit mymarinhealth.org. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check out the full podcast library for topics of interest to you. This is The Healing Podcast brought to you by Marin Health. I'm Bill Klaparov. Thanks for listening.